we're trying to reach for, but I want you to understand our target is clearly defined. We want to honor God in everything that we do, and he is our audience in worship. And if you haven't given your best uh, this morning in worship, shame on you because you've insulted uh, the creator of the universe that gave his son to die on a cross for you. That's why we're here worshiping, okay? And, uh, uh, but our, our physical target audience are the young couples and single individuals and their kids. I just want to tell you something. It was the coolest experience uh, this past weekend to be able to join uh, in uh, Art of Marriage again this year. And uh, this place, yes, uh, Friday night, last night, yesterday, up until about 4 o'clock or so, we had 75-plus individuals in this room learning about how to make their marriage work better, and that was really, really cool. Our backspace was packed with kids everywhere, uh, and we laughed together, we cried together, we ate together, we had a blast, we examined, and my prayer is that that will take some marriages in our congregation to a brand new level, and it wasn't just our church folks, we had a lot of folks here, and uh, that's really, really cool. But I just want to say thank you to the uh, team that worked so hard to make that happen, and it wasn't just a weekend effort, they have been working for months, for months. And uh, I want to say thank you for the work that they did uh, for months and all weekend long. Uh, but I, I just want to say this. When you came in church today, you would have never had a clue what occurred here yesterday. Uh, you know, this place is right and clean and solid, and I just want to say thanks to those individuals that did such a, a hard, hard job to get this place looking sharp for us to worship in uh, this morning. Well, this morning we're going to close out uh, this series on marriage. I want you to turn with me to the book of Ma Matthew one last time. Uh, next week we're going to begin, uh, go back to the Gospel of Mark and continue our year-long study uh, of what discipleship in, uh, in Jesus' mind uh, is all about. And it's going to be a series called New. It's what we're going to be in the uh, month of March about and talk about some of the newness that there is in a relationship uh, as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I want to tell you right up front, there are a lot of church people that don't want anything to do with discipleship because discipleship's up here, and they just want to stay down here, all right? And I want to tell you, if you want to stay down here, you're going to have a terrible year, all right? And as a matter of fact, you're going to have a terrible rest of your life at Chester Christian Church because we are all about shaping people into be disciples of Jesus Christ who will in turn make brand new disciples of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we're all about. We'll get right back into that next time. But this month, we've kind of drawn away and looked at some words of Jesus for disciples who are married. And I've been teaching, and Aaron and I have been teaching some discipleship principles to individuals who are married or thinking about getting married. And uh, we've been talking about clearing the clutter because there's a lot of clutter in our lives, uh, in our married lives, that just prevents us from being all that we need to be uh, as disciples of Jesus in a married re marriage relationship, all right? And uh, so we've been talking about some of those uh, issues over the last several weeks. I want to finish out by looking at Matthew chapter 7. <clears throat> and uh, all of the issues that we have been talking about are all significant issues uh, that, uh, of clutter on the table of our marriages that just have to be pushed aside. But this morning, I want to look, as we close out this series, about what I think by far is the most significant of all of those areas of clutter. And as we study it, you may say, well, I don't understand why this is such a powerful, significant thing. 
But I want you to understand that Satan does more through the specks that we notice in our spouses and the ignoring of the huge planks in our own eyes to destroy marriages than perhaps in any other area of our life. Clearing the clutter of marriage. Subtitle of this message is the gospel for marriage. Let's read together Matthew chapter 7 and the first six verses. Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure that you use to measure other people with, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye? I would replace that in your spouse's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, or I would say this morning to your spouse, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, you fake, you phony, you, I mean, you're just filled with baloney. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your spouse's eye. Do not give uh, dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to the pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Frank Damasio is, is a writer that I'm becoming very familiar with because he talks uh, so much about how to lead a, a church. And uh, in uh, his book, uh, Strategic Church, he, he's not talking so much about just human things that we do, but he's talking more about how the Holy Spirit must impact the ministry where you are to change people from the inside and out and how to restructure things and how to think about all of those processes. And that's where we are uh, as we are developing disciples here because we want to change it from the inside out because we know that uh, we want God to change from the inside out because we know that there's no way that we can bring about that kind of change in your life. But Damasio, in that book, Strategic Church, has a statement that I, I just pondered through. In fact, I spent my entire day on Monday as I was way on a, uh, just a planning retreat by myself, uh, and all day long I thought about this one phrase and how it impacts our church and churches around us. Damasio says, every church has a multi-layered spiritual atmosphere. Now, the atmosphere uh, has two distinct meanings. Number one, an atmosphere is a multi-layered, as a matter of fact, it's a five-layered uh, protective covering around the earth that extends from ground level to 370 miles, actually 372 miles above the surface of the earth. And it in its multiple facets and layers, and each one of those has a distinct title, uh, and I don't remember all of them, but each one of them has a distinct uh, uh, purpose and protect us from radioactive waves and, and heat and, and cold, but they just serve as a blanket of protection around the earth. But also, an atmosphere is the prevailing emotional tone or attitude of a place or a person. As I was thinking about those two definitions of 
atmosphere and thinking about Damasio's statement that every church has a multi-layered spiritual atmosphere, I began to realize as I was thinking about this sermon that every single marriage has a multi-layered spiritual atmosphere around it. Every marriage, every home has an atmosphere that, that just pervades everything that's going on there. And that atmosphere determines so much of what's happening and you can tell it, you can walk in or you can talk to a child for a few moments and find out what the spiritual atmosphere and tone of the home that they grow up, grew up in is. You see, kids will shoot straight with you, won't they? They, you'll real quickly find out what mom and dad are like. Do they squabble all the time, fuss and fight all the time? Is there peace, is there resentment? You see, I believe every marriage has a spiritual atmosphere. And that atmosphere may be a, an atmosphere of patience and kindness and forgiveness and trust and hope and perseverance. Or it can be an atmosphere of record-keeping of wrongs and pessimism and criticism and revenge. Now the question I want you to wrestle with me this morning is, as I've wrestled with this all week long, I, I want you to wrestle with this question. Why do we, as married individuals... And whether you're married or not, you'll just find that this is true uh, in all of life. Why is it that as married individuals, we focus most predominantly on what our spouses do wrong rather than what they do right? All right? Can I, can I get, is anybody agreeing with me on that? All right? Anybody agreeing with me? I mean, for every good thing we see our spouse do, there are 45 bad things. And those things just jump at us. And I want you to understand that that is the core of the gospel. Because if, Tom, if we go in prison and our attitude is how bad these people are and they deserve what they got, there's no gospel, right? But if we go into any situation in life, including our own homes, not so much focusing only on what they're doing wrong, but what by the grace of God they can become, gospel can shine through our lives. Do you understand what I'm talking about? That's the whole message. Y'all ready to quit and go home? Uh, I got more to give you, but that's what I want to talk about uh, today. I, I want to teach you that the answer to that question determines the spiritual atmosphere of your marriage. And the three things I want to talk about uh, are uh, from Scripture about uh, the speck, the sin, of the speck. You got a pet pad and paper or your notes section in the program. Let's get to work together. Let's take some notes and think about this uh, uh, very, very important subject. First of all, I want to start by defining the sin of the speck. I want to define it very, very clearly because I think a lot of people are confused when Jesus says, don't judge. In verse 1, Jesus says, do not judge or you too will be judged. Now, I think first I need to talk about what the sin of the speck is not. For the sin of the speck is not. The sin of the speck is not ignoring problems and just hoping they go away. Because problems just never go away, do they? What happens if you ignore a problem? It gets bigger. I, I've said many, many times before, elders have heard me say over and over and over again, you choose who you lose. If you choose to ignore problems, guess what? You're going to lose somebody as a result of you not dealing with the problem when it's small, okay? 
Same way in your marriage. If you just choose to ignore problems and, and just pretend they're not there, I want you to understand that your marriage will be damaged as a result of it. Nor does the Bible teach that we just got to overlook issues going on around us in our world. The Bible clearly teaches that as disciples, we must constantly make right judgments about a lot of different things. Jesus says in John chapter 7, verse 34, stop judging by mere appearances and make right judgments. Let me give you several things. There are many in the New Testament you read about, but several things that the Bible teaches us that we need to make right judgments about as, as uh, disciples of Jesus. Not being judgmental, but making right judgments about. The Bible teaches that we need to make right judgments about our marriage or, I would say, our business partners. You know what the Bible says in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14? It says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What fellowship can light have in darkness? Now we are not in a rural community of uh, years ago when horses pulled plows. But get this in your mind. If you're going to link together two vehicles to pull a major, major load, would you pick... I mean, a race car that's going to run in the Daytona 500 this afternoon and a Volkswagen Beetle to be locked together side by side to pull the load. No, why? Because it just wouldn't work. And Paul says that doesn't work in relationships either. I, all the time I have moms and dads struggle about their kids who just aren't getting along together. And the issue, more often than not, is that if we determine that it is a cool thing to look at everything about the spouse that our daughter or son are going to marry, but have no idea spiritually where they are, we're just setting them up for failure, all right? If you're not yoked together spiritually, no matter what happens in that married relationship, you will never be yoked together and be able to pull together properly. Does that make sense to you? Number one, making decisions and choices about our marriage and our business partners. Number two, making a selection of our spiritual teachers. Now, when I first got involved in ministry 35 years ago, the local church was the center of spirit, our spiritual diet. You want to know, uh, learn from the Bible, you came to church, and uh, you went to Sunday school classes, and, and your preacher and Sunday school teachers uh, led your spiritual walk, but that's not the case today. In addition to the local church, we have a plethora of other options for us spiritually. Let me just ask, how many people this last week have listened to a podcast of some preacher somewhere? Raise your hand. Anybody? Look around. Y'all in front, keep your hands up. Just look around. Probably almost 50% of folks, all right? Add to that the number of individuals that listen to uh, uh, Christian radio, teaching there, or, or read a Christian book, or been on a Christian website. The, the issue is, in our mind, if they are out there, they might be, must be telling us the truth. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you know, if, if they have the money to put themselves on the radio or on the internet or podcast, they must be saying truth. Can I tell you? That's not the case at all, man. The Bible says, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1, don't believe every teacher, but test them to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Acts 17 verse 11 gives the filter by which we must judge every teacher, including myself. It says the Bereans were of noble character, 
because they accepted the truth that I spoke, Paul says, but then they went home and they tore open the scriptures to see if what I said matched up with the scriptures. And folks, that's got to be your, your filter. Got to be your filter. Does the word of God match up with the teacher that you're listening to? I'll give you a third one that we have to make judgments about, and that's concerning blatant sin in the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13 verses, it says it's reported there in verse 1 that there's sexual immorality among you, and you're proud of it. Shouldn't you have gone into deep mourning and put the offenders out of your fellowship? I was reading Le Leviticus chapter 20, uh, and the first five verses the other day in my quiet time, and, and that section of Scripture was talking about uh, the sin of offering your children to Molech, and that was a horrendous thing where people would sacrifice their children alive, and they would put them in the outstretched arm of, of this altar of Molech, this god idol of Molech, and uh, light their child on fire and scream uh, of their children would be the last things that they would hear as their children were burned to death. Do I have to make the link between that and the number of kids that we kill on abortion day after day after day? And I'm not beating up on anybody that's ever been through that. Forgiveness is always there. But folks, the Bible says that the cries of our children reach God's ear, all right? But in that passage of Scripture, the emphasis is not so much on the individuals offering their child. But those who are closing a blind eye to that sin in the community of believers. And God says, if you close a blind eye to blatant sin, I will close a blind eye to you. Folks, we've got to make just solid judgments sometimes. So that's not the sin of the speck. So what is the sin of the speck? I want you to understand that Jesus is teaching that the sin of the speck is the relentless harping on the faults of others while neglecting our own faults. He describes in verse 2 and 3, he says, For the, in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure that you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank that is in your own eye? Two things I want to give you about that section of Scripture. I want you to understand first of all, that every one of those verbs, all of these four verbs, judge, measure, look, and pay attention to, are all present tense words in the Greek. That means that they are an ongoing thing, a habitual, uh, addictive, uh, binding kind of behavior. It's not just paying judgment here and there concerning things because we know that we have to do that, but it is the judgmental person, the person that is always looking habitually for the speck, the Proverbs chapter 7, 27, verse 15 says, A nagging spouse is like the drip, drip, drip of a leaky faucet. You can't turn it off and you can't get away from it. You see the point of what he's saying. He's talking about the person that is always looking for the fault in their spouse. The word judge in this section of scripture is a, oftentimes used in the Bible in a forensic sense person in forensic science in the police uh, law enforcement field is a person that sifts through all the evidence trying to find something to hang the crime on the guilty person. And that's what he's talking about. He's talking about uh, the person that is constantly looking for the bad, always picking it apart, always criticizing, always complaining, always building contention 
into their home by picking at the nit. You ever heard the phrase nitpicker? You know where it came from? It came from Jesus. It's exactly what he's talking about. And the idea, it's hilarious. It's a hilarious image that he's talking about. Yeah, think about with this with me. You got a piece of lint on your, on your arm right now, okay? How are you going to get that piece of lint off of your arm? You're probably going to do one of two things. You're either going to do, look at me, you're either going to do this and pick it off, or you're going to flick it off. You know what I'm talking about? You got a huge beam on your shoulder that, man, it would take two guys lifting it off with all of their strength. And the nitpickers always looking at the blame in others. That little tiny, little piece of lint. And never noticing that their own eyes are totally covered up with uh, this sin. Now, that's the first thing I want to do. I want to talk about uh, uh, just defining what uh, uh, this uh, uh, sin of, of, the, of the speck is all about. But I want to, to move you forward to something I think will be very, very important for all of you to think through clearly with me, and that is understanding the slow progression of the sin of the speck. The slow progression of the sin of the speck. Almost unnoticed, there's a shift that takes place in your life where you go from seeing the good in your spouse to only seeing the negative in he or her. And it's not like you wake up one morning and you say, you know, today I think I'm going to become a judgmental jerk. You know, nobody does that, do you? No. It happens so slowly, it creeps up over time that you don't even notice it until its effect is full-blown into your life. Now let me give you uh, five or six things, one, two, three, four, five, five uh, uh, steps in this progression that takes place in everybody's life. Number one, the sin of the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the speck starts out with your look. It starts, Jesus says, with your look. Verse 3, he says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? You know, all of us start out when we got married, before we got married, we looked at, uh, uh, at our spouse as if man, our spouse to be that they were the greatest things in the world. Now, Carol's not here. She's sick, and uh, she can't defend herself. Uh, so uh, so I, I just tell you, uh, her attitude about me uh, when we were dating, man, she looked at me, and she thought, that is an Olympic champion. As a matter of fact, if he went into the Olympics, he would get gold medals in every event he would enter in the Summer and Winter Olympics, you know. I was just the greatest thing in the world, you know. There, there's no question about that. And, uh, you know, I, I looked at her, and I thought, man, if there was back then, and there wasn't, but if they ever invented a show, American Idol, nobody else, even they'd try out, because nobody would beat her. That's the way I looked at Carol, you know. Uh, and you're, you're saying, oh, man, you're being juicy here. No, that's the truth. Y'all thought the exactly same thing. But, you know, after you've been married for a while, you begin noticing specks in your spouse, don't you? Small things at first but they become irritating things over time. Now, there are some people that are door openers, and you may be married to one of those door openers. There's a difference. There, Paul, you taught us that there were door openers and door closers, all right? And uh, uh, if you are a door closer, 
the fact that your spouse is a door opener, it first doesn't bother you. The first day you walk in after your honeymoon, what do you do? You just close the door and forget about it. Six years later, you're still closing those doors, but every time you close it a little bit more significantly. Wham! I hope he hears that, you know. You're a toothpaste squeezer. And it doesn't bother you too much that your spouse is a toothpaste roller at first, but over time, it bugs the snot out of you. And I go on and on and on. Do you understand what I'm talking about? You know, uh, you ignore the fact, and in every movie, I mean, you see couples go to bed at night, they kiss, next morning you wake up and they hug and they kiss and all that sort of thing. And you wake up one morning and you notice she's got morning breath. And you're saying, man, this ain't what I thought marriage is going to be all about. And first you just overlook it. Leads to the second step, second step of the progression of the sin of the speck. Your look begins dominating your thoughts. That's what Jesus says over in chapter 6, verse 22 and 23. He says, the eye is the lamp of your body, and if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And then the light within you is, if the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And you begin thinking, and those little things begin dominating your mind. And rather than that Olympic champion that you married or the American Idol winner that you married, you wake up one morning and you say, man, I am married to the world's biggest loser. And that begins dominating your mind. Those dominating thoughts then begin affecting your speech. Your speech, words toward your spouse, begin to change. Proverbs 15, 14 says, kind words of healing and help go to cutting words of wounding and maiming. Also, they impact the words about your spouse, and they begin to change. You begin talking to people, especially those who will agree with you, about how bad your spouse is. It's the water cooler or the person in the office next to you or that support group, prayer group that we call, uh, you know, in church because we just want to make it sound like it's a lot better, a place that we get together and just complain about our spouses or complain about, you won't believe what that jerk did so that we will hear somebody respond back to you, you're right. You are married to the biggest loser. Your thoughts begin affecting your speech and the worst of all of those scenarios happens when your words about your spouse tearing them down begin to happen in their own presence. I want to tell you, you're cutting down your spouse uh, in front of somebody else. It's like you stabbing them with a knife right in their back. And you can come afterward, oh, I didn't mean that. I'm sorry for hurting you that way. No, you meant exactly to do exactly what you did and just destroys your spouse. Number four in the progression, your speech begins to destroy your heart. Now, I don't want to take time to go over to Luke chapter 6, but I want you to write down Luke 6, verse 39 through 45, because there in, in, in Luke's rendition of Jesus' teaching about this issue, uh, he, he ends it by talking about the impact that this has on your heart. Y'all can just read that and study it on your own. But what happens is, your heart begins to get callous, Matthew 13, 15. And you find yourself breaking Jesus' greatest commandments. You remember what they are? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what's number two? Love your neighbor 
just like you would yourself. And you begin breaking all, both those things. But then Jesus comes to the most horrendous part of this whole thing. And I didn't catch this at first. I had to study this passage over and over and over again before I understood why Jesus closed out the way he did. It made no sense to me whatsoever. I'll give it to you and then we'll read the scripture verse. Before you realize it, as this progression moves down, you personally have replaced God with a dog. And the dog is you. Look what he says in verse 6 to explain what I mean. He says, after all this about judging and specs and looking and paying attention to other people's problems and ignoring your own, Jesus concludes by saying, do not give dogs what is sacred. The word sacred means holy. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. You see, up until this point, we have focused only on the damage that our nitpicking does to our spouse. But at this point, Jesus turns and he gives a huge spiritual connection between what you are doing and how that impacts your image of who God is. Because judging someone else, picking apart someone else's flaws, looking at the bad news in them on a continual basis, means you have taken over God's sacred place as judge. And you've made yourself God in his place. And Jesus says you're a dog when you do that. And you replace God in his magnificent image and role, and holy role of judgment with yourselves. Romans 4, you don't believe that? Romans 14, verse 10 and 12 says, we will all stand before God's judgment seat. And we'll all give an account to ourselves to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10 says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give and receive what is due for the things done in the body. Jesus says, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God and give an account for every, every word that we have ever spoken. And folks, with that move, Satan has accomplished what he's dreamed of all of his life to make happen in your life. Do you remember Genesis chapter 3, the fall? What was that all about? Was it about getting Adam and Eve to eat an apple? No, that, that wasn't it at all. You know what it was about? It was about determining who was really going to be God in their marriage and in their lives. Because Satan said, I, I know God said don't eat that fruit, but is that what he really means? Because he knows that when you do that, you'll become just like God, knowing good from evil, and you'll elevate yourself to a place on par or equality with God. At Exodus chapter one, 20, and the very first uh, uh, commandment says, God will have no other gods before him, including you. Folks, I want you to understand that this picking of nits or the sin of the speck, 
I say is the most damaging thing to a marriage because it may potentially be the most damaging thing that can happen in your life. Because the moment you go down that progressive road, and we all have, we all become dogs every time we look at anyone with that pointing finger and say, they shouldn't do that, they shouldn't wear that, they shouldn't act that way. They ought to close the door. We look at the bad news in them and not the good news. Lastly, very quickly, and I could go on and on and on there, but I just want to talk finally about demolishing the stronghold of the speck, and it is a stronghold. You remember as as, uh, we were talking about being disciples of Jesus, and I just want you to understand that as a disciple of Jesus, he has given you everything you need to know to be able to overcome the sin of the speck. But it's all wrapped up in being a disciple of Jesus. Make disciples who make disciples. Remember our definition of what a disciple is? It's a person following Jesus in their head so that they can be changed by Jesus in their heart so that they can be about the mission of Jesus with their hands. That is all about overcoming, demolishing this stronghold of the speck. Let me explain and we'll close. Number one, if you're ever going to get over this, friend, listen closely, mark it down. You must begin following Jesus in your head. That's all about making choices in your head about what you're going to think about and what you do. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8 and 9 says, Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, think about such things and the God of peace will be with you. Folks, I want to tell you something. If you want your want peace in your marriage, in your home to be a place that has an atmosphere of peace, you Uh, have to understand that it all starts in your mind, not in your spouse's mind, in your mind. Are you following Jesus with your mind in relationship to the things that you think about, positive or negative? Number two, you must allow Jesus to change your heart. I want you to understand you are battling a spiritual stronghold. Spiritual stronghold. 2 Corinthians 10, 4, and 5 says, We fight with weapons that have divine power to demolish strongholds and to take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. Folks, I want you to understand, this all begins with repentance. And if you're a nitpicker, and we all are, it begins by going to our knees and saying, Almighty God, I am a sinner, and I need forgiveness for my sins. Now, if you're here this morning, you've never accepted Jesus Christ as Savior of your life, I want to tell you that you've got to do that because none of what we're talking about is going to work for you unless Jesus is Savior of your life. And I'm going to meet you here at the front today when we're done here in just a moment, and you can uh, uh, name Jesus as Savior of your life by, by uh, just acknowledging in faith that he died on a cross and rose again for you. You can confess that statement of faith before people here, but it has to have repentance. That means changing the way you're acting in the direction of your life, and then we'll give you the opportunity, even this morning, to be baptized into Christ. We've baptized a bunch of folks already this year, and we'd love to do even more today. It has to happen with repentance. But folks, I want you to understand that this isn't going to happen on your own. So I would encourage you to pray every single day when you wake up. God, today, would you forgive me, I'm sorry, free, free me from the bondage of the speck in my life?
And Father, fill me with the fruit of your spirit in my life and help me to begin reflecting who Jesus really is. Lastly, we need to begin fishing with our hands with Christ. The gospel for marriage. I'd give you three things real quickly. Number one, don't ignore things that bug you about your spouse. Talk about them at the appropriate time. There are things about Carol that drives me crazy. There are more things about me that drive her crazy. But in the midst of the craziness, it's not a good time to have that conversation. You know what I'm talking about? There's a great time to have that conversation. It's not in the heat of the battle. And so talk to one another. Neither one of you are, 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 are perfect. Number two, I would suggest to you avoid the biggest verbal marriage killers in the history of the world. You know what they are? Anybody that's uh, attended Art of Marriage or We Can Remember? No. They are always and never. You always do this. You never do that. Just dump those words from your vocabulary. Carol and I jokingly say regularly about, uh, you know, we're always never going to say those kinds of words to each other. You know, we just kind of make, but we really, if we do, you know, we'll stop right dead in our tracks and we'll say, forgive me for doing that. And finally, speak fresh gospel into your marriage every single day with words of grace and forgiveness that reflect God's grace and forgiveness for you. Well, I want to close out time of response for you, and this is where I want to go with you this morning as we close out this time and give you an opportunity to respond to the gospel. And this is what I want you to understand, folks. All Satan wants to do is destroy your life. That's all he wants to do. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your life. And he will start at areas in your life that at first you don't even notice the creep. Or the, or, or the crack, rather. But over time, that crack grows and builds, and that stronghold grabs your life. And rather than having an atmosphere of love and peace and care, your home develops, and your whole life develops. The atmosphere of bitterness and hate and contention and anger. Because... You have become judge in God's place with everybody around you. But can I close with this image? God is all about good news. You remember how the Bible begins, Genesis chapter 1? It's repeated over and over and over again, chapter 1. Day 1, God said, let there be, what was the first thing? Light, right? Let there be light. And God looked at the light, and you remember what he said? It is what? good. That's repeated over and over and over again. Made the stars, they're good. Made the earth, they're good. Plants, they're good. Made hippopotamuses and said, they are crazy good, man. But he came down to the very end and he looked at all that he created and he said, it is what? Very good. Folks, that's the gospel. Because when God looks at us, God looks at me. He doesn't focus on the crap in my life and the sin that has that stained and ripped and torn my life apart. He looks at what I can become through the good news of Jesus Christ and surrendering to him. And that good news is what I'm offering for you today. Good news in Jesus Christ. Father, I just pray that... Uh, Every single person here that's married, Lord, would uh, see the significance of the bad news that they just spew it to, 
individuals around them, especially their spouses all the time. And Father, I just pray that you will convict all of us of that and Satan's just uh, plan to destroy our lives and our futures. But Father, we close by just giving you thanks and praise and glory for loving us, and it's an amazing thing that you do, and for giving us your love and your grace and your good news to see beyond all that we've done wrong, to see what we have and can become through the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name. If you have a decision to make for Christ today, you want to become a Christian, I'm here at the front. I would love to give you the chance to do that today, to receive forgiveness of sin and be cleansed and pure. As we sing together, stand together, uh, and come if you want to. Thank you.